0: Enough, podcast.
1: Is the world's most populous country heading for a demographic crisis. China's population has shrunk for the first time in 61 years. What's behind this downturn and what will it take to reverse the trend? I'm Sahil Rahman and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guest for this edition of Inside Story in Beijing is Aina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Tahi Institute. In Bristol is Winnie King, a Senior Lecturer in Chinese International Political Economy at Bristol University. And in St. in Switzerland is Guido Cosi, a professor of macroeconomics at Sangaleng University. Welcome to you all on this edition of Inside Story. Aina, can I come to you in Beijing first? I mean, this is generally a story that seems to resonate with a lot of countries at the moment globally. Um, and this sort of demographic change has become quite a topic of conversation. Why should the authorities or public in China be worried about a shrinking population when there are over a billion in terms of the population all sort of clamoring for the same resources and services from the government?
2: Well, it has a lot to do with, you know, workers and smoothing out the line. Um, if you looked at China's population uh, over the last uh, 70, 80 years, you'll see, um, you know, there are there periods when there was a lot of births uh, and, and then periods when there were very few, especially during this one child period. And that was a deliberate um, policy by the government to bring down the population. But now they put it into reverse. They want to make sure that, not that they have lots and lots more people, but that they have uh, the the number of people that they need uh, in order to run uh, their economy. Hmm. They are uh, very much uh, concentrated on this idea of expenditure driven and things like that. But it also has to do with infrastructure. Uh, Imagine uh, trying to build cities uh, and thinking to yourself, you know, I don't know how, we're gonna have less people in the future, but Hmm. people have needs now. So it's all about putting the pieces together.
1: Okay, Winnie, can I come to you in Bristol? Uh, Obviously uh, an expert in uh, the Chinese economy, but would you agree with what Aina's just said? Because it is actually a conversation that is happening globally in different countries at different levels through different cultures as well.
0: Yes, um, that's for sure. I mean, not just with regards to developed worlds, but in this case, for China, a developing world. I think picking up on his point about infrastructure, a, a key point is also due to the fact that because China has traditionally relied upon its population and its family and community networks with regards to support with regards to child care, health care, uh, care for pensioners and elderly... There's a significant kind of policy and infrastructure deficit within China itself that the government is trying to to build up um, in order to help uh, take care of its aging economy. And if you're going to have a population that you're trying to encourage to have children after decades of a shift in policy, then you obviously need to make up um, for a deficit in that area as well because you don't have the kind of childcare provisions that are necessary. So in terms of party legitimacy, this is a very key thing, not just with regards to ensuring the economic engine continues, but with regards to ensuring that the population itself mm. is supported.
1: Uh, let's go to Switzerland and Guido cozy there in Sanghalen. I mean, you've heard what our speakers have said. I mean, how concerned will the government be at these statistics in Beijing? Uh, because they've made the statistics public and analysts like yourself and others globally uh, with a range of social and economic experience. We'll look at perhaps what reforms the Chinese Communist Party has to make, because it has to make some serious decisions in the next few years.
3: Yes, and what what is difficult is to change a trend that is predetermined from the past, because even if we increase, uh, if they increase childcare and uh, put in place any policy to Possible to stimulate uh, birth d- rates. Still, it will take uh, some time, uh, for a ex- minimum uh, 20 years. Or so until these people can work. Meanwhile, if you look at the Chinese population dyne- uh, pyramid, we will see that the most uh, hefty group is the group in their 50s. So from 50 to 59, uh, just before who were born just before 1980 and the and the single child policy in 20 years time mm. or or even less these people will be unable to work and uh, and they will they will uh, bear on the on the pensions so the young uh, will have to support them and this is going to be a very daunting task Indeed,
1: Anna. can I just come back to you in Beijing? Because, you know, with focusing on young people, one has to look back at history. And as you've said, you know, one of the big issues in the 60s was this one child policy. I mean, it was a policy conducted and executed at a time in history that the Chinese Communist Party thought was the right decision. Uh, in retrospect, was it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, China, you can't imagine China uh, with a burgeoning population, with every family having, you know, six or you know, eight kids as uh, was traditional. Uh, obviously, infant mortality was a, an issue back then. But with modern medicine, uh, imagine, uh, you you know, you we would be blowing past two billion people, uh, the amount of resources out there. I, I really, you know, while this is definitely about how China is reacting to it, Let's look at this in a modern context. The fact is that, you know, in the U.S., uh, agriculture, uh, you know, produces more food than the U.S. citizens can actually consume with less than 2% of the population. China has 32% of its people in the rural areas. Um, Automation is changing the way factories work. There are less and less line workers, more and more people who are repairing the machines that are actually doing it. So I don't necessarily know that there's a correlation uh, between you know this classical uh, economic model that you need more people in order to grow. I think, really, as we enter a tertiary economy, it's really about having disposable income, and that means a greater and larger middle class, not necessarily just simply more people. Okay. Look at India, look at uh, Africa, they have plenty of young people. but plenty of problems because they don't have jobs. Mm. I mean,
1: uh, Winnie King in Bristol, can I just bring you in there? Because, of course, 2016 saw uh, the policy scrapped uh, uh, to allow two children. Then last May, the policy was revised for three children. I mean, you can't demand or expect people to produce children on the get-go, can you? Um, It's a very difficult sort of scenario to be in if you're in a society where you weren't allowed to have more than one child for a long time, then all of a sudden the state says, oh, you can have a few more.
0: Yeah, that, that is very true. I mean, you're talking about a mindset that you're changing that of a policy that's been in place for well over three, four decades. Um, the thing that we really need to take into account, however, is that is that there's there's a different kind of context that the Chinese population is facing. It's not just the fact that if we look from the 1980s until... until um, the, until uh, 2020, the population in China grew from six, 660 million to 1.4 billion. And I think the previous speaker is absolutely correct: is that it does take time, absolutely does take time. But there are other policy initiatives that the government can take into account if we're talking just about trying to bolster the economy, and that includes allowing for immigration. China's foreign population, in terms of foreign um, residents, is very, very small compared to the population, it's the native population itself. And so, if we're talking about um, scope for um, feeding into the work, the the young workforce, um, and the innovative workforce, there's definitely means to do that. With re- with regards to innovation, it's it's about how you you use the the resources you have more efficiently. Um, innovation, focusing on healthcare, focusing on technology, the Internet of Things are all. Um, policies and strategies that the Chinese government is trying to adopt as a means to diversify its economy away from the traditional kind of made-in-China export-oriented manufacturing eco- economy that we're, we're used to. So there's more potentially more breathing space for um, China's um, growing middle class or its youth to try and choose what kind of job or career that they want to have that's far more innovative, is higher paid, and therefore provides for a larger and better tax base. Uh,
1: so, Guido, can I just bring you in here in saint Because obviously, you know, you've got the, the urban mindset and you've got the rural mindset. We're going to get Ina in on this as well in a moment. Because, of course, they are very different mindsets culturally as well. And that if you say you can have more than, uh, more than one child, uh, the urban mindset is, is to have more children, maybe to look after the farm or to look after the community, but they might not necessarily get the education uh, and the level of education that Winnie's talking about to actually at, help the the Chinese economy in the future when it comes to technology or development? I mean, how do you regard this sort of rather interesting equation at the moment that the Chinese Communist Party will have to think about?
3: Absolutely. As the country grows, uh, the fertility transition inevitably takes place. So, and this happened everywhere. Uh, and we know, of course, it happened before in, in Europe, but, but then it's happening everywhere in, in the rest of the world. So, uh, there is a, a transition from quantity to quality of children. So, uh, do you want to have many uh, unskilled, uh, uneducated? Children are few or even one or two uh, well-educated children. And of course, uh, families decide for this as the country grows and education compensates for quantity because it allows innovation and better use of innovation. It was mentioned also, uh, robotics, uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, these are these are aspects in which China is already a champion and it has to invest a lot on it. The, the silver line of having a, a more mature population, let's mm. say, compared to India, if we compare the two, uh, 50% of the population in India is below the age of 29. Uh, 39 would be the number uh, for for um china so having uh, more mature people means having more educated people uh, of course if india managed to well educate uh, its uh, young population they may reach china even technologically and uh, even overtake it because their uh, their knowledge would be uh, more new you know um, less obsolete so there are tensions there are opportunities but certainly innovation uh, will be the major the major challenge and it has to uh, has to be at the center. You know, it has to be uh, uh, indigenous innovation, not just importing knowledge from the rest of the world, which would, by the way, exacerbate trade disputes, for example, on intellectual property rights.
1: Sure. Uh, Both Aina and Winnie were agreeing with you. Aina, can I just come into you? You were nodding in agreement.
2: Yes. I mean, uh, first off, let's not take this too far out of context. Remember, we're coming out of an extraordinary uh, period of COVID. Uh, During that, uh, there were a lot of social changes. Um, There are a lot fewer marriages, obviously. Uh, There are a lot fewer children being born. There's a lot more uncertainty. Uh, People were isolating, uh, you know, physically. So, you know, the ability to find a mate and have children or the time to have a children, given that hospitals were full uh, or potentially dangerous, uh, people did uh, hold back. Uh, also, there are, you know, certain things culturally within in China, they, they like the year of the tiger generally and, and things like that. But I guess that didn't make as big a difference as we uh, thought. In any event, <clears throat> put it into context, it, it is a quality versus quantity uh, issue, and it has to do uh, with the ability of these young people to earn money so that they can, in fact, support uh, not only their, their elders, but through taxes. Uh, support the entire social service system. So I, I agree with my colleagues that this is not something simply like right there. Eight billion people are putting a lot of pressure on the world's resources. In- Adding more to it irresponsibly would not help.
1: So uh, Winnie, let me bring you in here, because we talked about how maybe the state is saying what it wants to do. And yet as Aina just mentioned, you know, society has changed uh, and so has technology. Uh, over the past 20 years. We're living in a time of, of social media, the internet, the potential to travel, seeing and experiencing the world where previous generations lived in a very isolated, closed society that, that China could be described as. Um, does the state's requirement for manpower resonate, do you think, with the younger generation who aspire perhaps... To want the things that other young people around the world want—they want to travel, they want to see the world, they want to have savings and buy a house. Whereas, if they were, if there are more children in the family, they might not get those opportunities.
0: Um, I, I mean, Chinese people are like any other people. It's human nature to to be curious and want to to um, move up the social ladder or to experience things that others experience. That's without a doubt. I think one way that i think we have that's problematic in looking at it is that we we see these these the chinese youth or the chinese young labor force as as in a bubble that they're located in china and that's where they'll stay and in actual fact they're very very mobile um, they're very well educated they're very mobile and they are very ambitious and i think the very fact that the chinese economy is no longer just restricted to its domestic borders but is actually through its um, belt and road initiative a strategy to try and promote and invest um, and collaborate with other economies internationally, not just developing economies in the global south, but also in Western economies and developed economies. That there's scope for these um, these the, the, for the for these graduates and and these um, the Chinese labor force to to expand their not just expand their footprint internationally, but also to bring that back to China domestically to try and promote domestic development in in a, in a rather in tandem to find a balanced way. So I think there, there's a way to contribute to that in the domestic economy as they try and go abroad and experience all the experiences that that, that any any young person would want to experience.
1: Mm. Uh, I, I can just come back to you because, you know, looking at social media as well, uh, coming out of China about, you know, debates over um, the, the the having the, the child policy, whether it's one, two or three, uh, comments of, Uh, from people, uh, things like, you know, I don't want kids, Uh, I I have a problem in my own workplace dilemma, why would I want to bring children into a world like this? You know, some women talking of no children until they've had higher education opportunities and career progression. Uh, And others talk about, you know, longer working hours and overtime and, and do you really want to be in that sort of scenario? Genuine concerns and worries about the workplace and about bringing young people into a world that's revolving around, you know, Manufacture or, or, or industry?
2: Well, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of uh, higher expectations. Um, but, you know, let, let me tell you, so when I first came to China, I, I met a man by the side of a road whose house was about three feet from the road and he was beaming, he told me he was happy the road was there uh, because he could get his produce to market and he had chicken uh, once a week instead of once a year. Um, you know, China has come a long way, but it's become very middle class very, very quickly, as, as uh, my colleagues uh, agree. And as a result, uh, there is a different sense of these things. Now, I, I talk to people all the time. I ask them, you know, younger people. I have younger uh, children uh, in that twenty-eight to thirty-year range. And, you know, they would say, well, you know, how many children do we actually want? They're concerned about the environment, the impact that people have. They have very, very different things. And we're not talking just about China. This phenomenon goes across the Western world. So it's, you know, it's something that's not. But one, okay, go ahead.
1: Let me just bring in Winnie here because I just quickly want to uh, to, bring, to bring in another angle to this because China talks uh, about wanting to be, you know, captain on the water, it's maritime strength, it wants to explore space. Not everyone that is produced in China will be able to have that brain power or that education to be part of that scientific or, or military group. Do you think there is a possibility, you touched on it just a moment ago, about whether China may have to look beyond its borders to bring the talent in. Would it look to foreign workers to bring uh, advancement to the country? Is it something it has to consider?
0: Well, it's it's already begun doing that. So, with regards to its its high tech, um, technologically based strategies, it's it's um, adopted specific policies to to allow for easier visa pathways for residency um, requirements to encourage foreign workers of specific industries, high skilled. Highly educated, um, highly experienced, to come to China to basically feed into um, the the industries that the Chinese government and the the Communist Party are particularly interested in in developing in China. So it's not it's not a new thing, and and it's at at present I I think it's relatively untapped because it's not just about bringing people into China, but it's also about sending um, about its its own citizens going abroad and then returning back to China to, to, to influence um, their, own, their own development, which is yeah. something that's happened in the past, but yeah. at, the, at the high-tech level, it's quite new.
1: And, of course, Guido, if I can just bring you in here, I mean, China's not the only country in the region thinking the same way. You've got the ASEAN countries, you've got India, which you touched upon, that, you know, has a lot of its young graduates go, go abroad and come back to help within, you might say, the domestic economy. I mean, China is looking over its shoulder, isn't it, to, to, to its very stronger and becoming stronger neighbours.
3: Yes, uh, clearly India is more integrated uh, with the Western world. China a little bit less. So uh, foreign policy matters. Uh, uh, geopolitics matter, <laughs> matters. Uh, so we all hope that in a, in, a, in a weightless economy, where as one me- was mentioned, social media, digitization, ideas matter, and this is super important for innovation. Ideas can be shared better. Of course, be, you know uh, uh, respecting the rewards for. Innovation, however, ideas shall circulate better. I was I was surprised mm. in this period, in, in, in this vaccination race, uh, to see China uh, failing uh, to uh, import the modern technology uh, about vaccines. In fact, they relied on inactivated virus vaccines, which are more dangerous and, le- and less effective mm. than, say, mRNA or even the, the the techniques used by Oxford, AstraZeneca. So I think there is a lot more knowledge sharing to be accomplished to overcome the challenges of population aging and as was said not just in china uh, also also in the western world so uh, because ideas can be can be can have you know can be infinitely replicated in production yeah. uh, so it is important to find the right way to to share them
1: and there we have to leave it, because obviously the debate about Covid and China is a different story for a very different day. But for now, uh, we have uh, come to the end of this particular edition of Inside Story. I'd like to thank all of my guests, Aina Tangen in Beijing, Winnie King in Bristol and Guido Koze in saint Switzerland. Thank you very much. This episode was produced by Mohamed Elayshi, Umikulsum Sharif, Fungi Noyan and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Hasib Hashmi. The programme was edited by Mohamed Shobi, Lin Yun and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story Podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Wednesday for our next episode.